Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. folks they said that queens could stay they blew the bronx away and they sank where elon and i live manhattan out at sea well that's just awful what kind of song is this hello everybody and welcome to billy joel a to z where we begin the lovely m's after the disastrous horrible letter l that's your opinion (laughs) yes it is and everyone knows it and i apologize to everybody And welcome once again to Billy Joel, A to Z, as we begin the letter M's with today, the one that no one can argue. The reason Alan and I decided to do the podcast, legendary, absolute classic Miami 2017, parentheses, seeing the lights go out on Broadway, and parentheses. The eighth and another, Alan, final song or Anthem, as you will, off Billy's fourth studio album released May 19th, 1976, entitled Turnstiles, the staying power of this song released in 1976. Most of us weren't born. However, this epic, surrealistic, apocalyptic fantasy song appears as the first song on 1981's live album, Songs from the Attic. It appears as the last song on Turnstiles and the first song on Songs in the Attic. Interesting. I guess we'll talk more about that later. It also appears on the albums 12 Gardens Live, duh, and Live at Chase Stadium. Why wouldn't it? That one with the lyrics slightly tweaked. And finally, a demo version off the My Lives compilation album. This song is, I don't think it's a secret, awesome. (laughs) So I guess that brings us to Gosh, it feels like we haven't done a song in such a long time. We uh, go back a lot to Christopher Bonanos and his amazing ranking of songs. Well, this is exciting. I don't know. Uh, here's a good one today. Where's he going to place his song, Alon, out of 121? Well, I'm, I'm excited. I think, gosh, this has to be a top five song. I'm just thinking, where would Christopher put it? And I've been racking my brain about that because I really want to nail it. I was thinking maybe two, maybe four, but I'm going to I'll just split it in the middle and say three. Yeah. So what I was going to say before I, I said it was, yeah, uh, we haven't had a lot of top 10 songs. So we've had yeah. surprises like things that he's put in the top 10 that were like, are you kidding me? An innocent man, An innocent man at five. Exactly. And uh, this one, uh, I you might be disappointed. It's at six. I'm not disappointed. I, I can understand, I think, why he might put it there. I, I'm sure you'll tell us the blurb right now, but I get the feeling that it's the sci-fi lyrics that might 
uh, be something that he doesn't like as much as other songs. Interesting. I don't even know whether the blurb is necessary. The The best part about the blurb is, first of all, it's written in 2015, remember? So uh, he says that date sounded deep in the future back in 1976, didn't it? You know, which, of course, is yeah. <laughs> the best the best part of the blurb. Uh, but we all it doesn't matter about the rest. But then he goes. And wait two years for the be all end all live performance of this one, probably at Sun Life Stadium, you know, which has already happened. We know he didn't perform it at Sun Life Stadium, but he did perform, obviously, on New Year's Eve 2016 in Florida to perform this song right after singing all old old Lang Syne. How does that pronounce? Old Lang Syne. Old Lang Syne. Right. And Souvenir, uh, where he uh, played it, where the Panthers play. A little up the uh, way from Miami. The, yeah, yeah, that's that, pretty cool. I mean, he always likes to play this either in Florida or obviously in New York. Well, the, everyone was waiting for him to play this at you know, 2017 in Florida. I mean, you'd have to be a genuine idiot not to get. I don't know why it wasn't played in Miami. I don't. I can't for the life of me, unless you know something, why it wasn't scheduled for actually Miami. I mean, they were maybe 20 miles away from Miami, but like, why wasn't it scheduled just at? you know, where the uh, where like the Hurricanes play or something. Yeah, you would think that they would have thought about this. I mean, it's such a big deal to get to a song that's a classic and that mentions a year and a place and then you're in that year. Why not do it in that place? Yeah, you're scheduling this date in in 2015 when you're thinking about it. if you're Billy Joel, you're scheduling it in 2000, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, plus he's Billy Joel. He could call him up uh, in on January 3rd, 2017 and be like, hey, can I play a show there tomorrow? And they'd say, yeah, of course. Maybe. Well, he could do that in New York. Even right? down there, he could sell out real fast. Well, I agree 100 percent. But the, the thing is, you're I believe this song is so popular and he's so popular that if let's just say the heat happened to be playing on New Year's Eve, which would be insane because they wouldn't be. They would have changed. the. They would have made the heat play somewhere else or postponed it to say, right. Of course. Right. You're going to play my. Yes. Let's switch things up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so now here's the weird one. Glenn Gamboa from Newsday puts it at 14. Glenn is a wild card. And he doesn't, uh, I mean, he likes it obviously, but uh, yeah, the blurbs aren't uh, that uh, nothing we didn't know, Uh, but the fans, thank goodness, rank it at three. Oh, that's what I said. Yes, you did. So we're all in uh, line with that. I will tell you that, you know what, Alon, I was just looking at what we've done. And after 58 songs, this being the 59th song we've done of Billy Joel, whether they be, released or unreleased this is the one for me this is the best one we've ever done i couldn't be more excited this is the favorite song we've done i'm talking about between big shot and allentown and any of these other ones and lullaby i think we all know where we i stand on (laughs) this one's right above lullaby well that's the weird part is that this is the one that comes after my least favorite song it's a good palate cleanser for you you're like i hate this and then you're like oh yeah i do love billy joel miami 2017 Exactly. This song is awesome in every way. I'm t- the M's are going to be unbelievable. And this song kicks it off in the way. Remember when I told you that I wanted to uh, finish the L's in the, by the end of the year and just start the new year with Miami 2017? This song, I you know, I did not know until we started doing the research that it ends turnstiles. I don't know why I just didn't think about it. And I didn't remember. Mm-hmm. And I just, it's so weird that it kicks off songs in the attic. I have an excellent analogy for this with stand up comedy, Alon. Okay, go. For years, 
I used to end my shows before you were maybe even born uh, with this character. I used to do imitations with this character named Ernie Douglas from this television show from the 60s called My Three Sons. Charlie, William Demarest. Presented by Tony, creator of fine beauty products for the woman who prefers the natural look of beauty care at home. And I am telling you, and no one listening to this podcast could possibly understand, but I couldn't follow this bit. I would say this line and get off stage and it would it would be sick and you could never understand. I don't even know if there's footage. I can only tell you that to this day, Bob Smigel, who does Triumph, the insult comic dog, along with a whole bunch of other stuff and John Stewart to this day, still go to me. You still doing that uh, Ernie Douglas bit? You still end it with the, the, the mock <laughs> me because they because it's one of those things that nobody could. Why was this? It could not be followed. And it's just this kid that I saw growing up in this awful show called My Three Sons, who had a, a squeaky voice, who, who, whose voice was cracking. And the bit was that he would say, well, Jankle, Charlie, I don't think you'd be that sore. And that's the line. And for the life of it, you'll never be able to understand what made it powerful. I think it was one of those things you hit on that no one's thinking of when they're watching, but everyone remembers. And it, it, it just got lucky. And I'm talking about back in high school, before I started comedy, I was doing that bit. And it, I mean, in the auditorium, it, it, people would go crazy. I think they let me do it in the, the, the play Grease. We were doing Grease, the musical. <laughs> and I played Ernie Douglas, this character, in high, before I ever did comedy. And I, I was the Teen Angels helper. And I say, and everybody knew I did the invitation and they were like waiting for me to do it. <laughs> and like, and then and, and a standing ovation, they, they gave me um, my own, uh, what do you, you know, call uh, when, when you go and take a bow. I got my own bow because they, they couldn't follow this reaction. They had to and stop the show. Once you did that, they had to take a five minute break and come back again. I can't explain it. The only people that were there that know David Tell knows. You know, my, my friends that know, my sister knows, you know, there are certain people that were there that know how ridiculously re powerful and stupid this end imitation was. But I remember also the day that I said, what if I opened with this bit? If I'm good enough that I can find another bit, to, if I open with this, think about the possibilities of what can come after if I could possibly become a stronger comic and use my closer for the opener. And did that happen? Yes, it did. <laughs> and uh, that, you know, then I had another closing bit. Then I, then I used to close with this, the Bill Cosby thing, which used to do well. But what I'm saying is the day that I decided to use my closing bit for the opener was the day I became a professional stand-up comedian. Hence, you can see where I'm going with this. He had this epic closing song, and he's like, what if, <laughs> you know, I open my live album with this or my shows with this. Clearly he must've been doing live performance and, and opening with this and saying, wow, this song that I always thought as a, an ending song 
if I open with it, could really bring the crowd up. And and that's why I bring up this ridiculous story. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, what, the story you're telling, first of all, is that I think Louis C.K. maybe was the one who said this, um, which is basically like your closer is your strongest joke. And at some point you take that closer and you stick it at the front and then you open with that, which is normally your second strongest. And then you have to find that new closer. And it's like a way to kind of refresh your material. So you were like years ahead of whenever that advice came down. You, you knew already you had that yeah. instinct. Well, that's the thing. Most comics do know that. But nobody told me that I didn't have a Louis C.K. There was no yeah, I figured it out on my own. Yeah. Yeah. Which is impressive. But I think that you're um, I don't really agree with like your assessment here that, that that's what Billy Joel was doing. I think he's looking at the way this song is placed on turnstiles and on songs in the attic in two different ways. Like on turnstiles there, it's like a concept album. You know, he starts off with Say Goodbye to Hollywood. It's about him living in L.A. and leaving L.A. And then he gets to New York State of Mind. He's moving back to New York. And then Miami 2017 is like this apocalyptic future where New York is destroyed. So it has to go at the end of this kind of album. But as a live song, Billy Joel always likes to open with this. And he's done it frequently throughout his whole career because he says it's a great stadium song. You know, it starts out really delicate. And then it's got this big guitar, big drums, crowds into it, especially when he's playing in a place like New York where he's naming locations. The crowd can cheer for that. And it, the fact that it opens with that siren, it's kind of cool, you know, because the whole stadium's dark. And then all of a sudden you hear this weird siren noise and he's got the floodlights going around like a police thing. So live, this is a great opener. And that's why on his live album, he had to open with the song. Yes, I, that makes a whole bunch of sense. I think that's why Christopher Bonanno's put it at six and not in the top five, because it has the sound effects, which, of course, as we know, he hates. <laughs> yeah, this is one of his first sound effect songs. I was trying to think like, I mean, obviously he did it a ton after this. Maybe like the ballad of Billy the Kid has like the horse clip clop noises, but that might be the only one before this that really has like a sound effect trying to sound like an object. I, I didn't know it opened like that. I've forgotten. I never think about it. And uh, maybe I've seen it in concert and I've seen him do it. And I thought it just was added in. I didn't know it was on the actual album itself. Meanwhile, there's just no comparison. I first listened to the studio album, but that live version on Songs in the Attic is not to be believed. Uh, played at MSG live, uh, I guess, in 1980. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's just 10 times better than what we could possibly then then you listen to the studio and you're like boy this is lackluster you know like compared to the liberty's drumming billy playing that that piano that i love where it's like bump 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 like it's uh, almost in uh, cruel to your school from uh, the uh twisted sister <laughs> album yeah. the, the the constant banging of the keyboards the and, and you know what they the best part is they get rid of that ridiculous sax that doesn't belong in the song at all from the studio album and the live, they don't use the sax. You think it was too much sax in the studio version? It doesn't belong there. It's only for a second and it doesn't belong there. It, yeah, they get rid of it. No, there's a lot of sax in the live version also. Is or there? Do you mean near the end when he's got like that French horn kind of noise? Maybe the end, but it's like it just it, 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 there's many places at the beginning where it doesn't belong and they really just take it out and they just go for it. And what a lively upbeat is obviously a quicker version. It's like a, it's like kind of a joke. He's like, we should speed it up like, it, it, you know, Artie Rip is probably angry. You're like, that's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> I said that five years ago. <laughs> that's the thing about this song. It always feels to me like a seven minute epic. It feels like a long song, but it's only a little bit over five minutes. Like that version, like you're saying on Songs in the Attic is like five minutes, 15 seconds or something. It, it just feels like it's this huge epic, but it happens really fast. It just he packs it all in in a, in a sh pretty short amount of time. You know, what's also interesting 
is that my least favorite song, as you know, Lullaby, is uh, it, it's funny. He has this song and there's Lullaby and there's similarities between the two as he's telling his daughter or granddaughters about the future and that kind of stuff. You know, it's uh, I noticed a similarity. Yeah, right. The idea, I guess the idea in his head was years from now telling my grandkids. I like in that one, there's like a Q&A where he does it with like an old Jewish guy accent. Like, oh, yeah, I was from New York. Oh, yeah. Well, that's clearly I what remember it was, yeah. when the bridges blew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's clearly what the song is. What's interesting is that for the first 25 years that the song was out, it really wasn't very relatable. It was only a sci-fi song. You know, it's about this like futuristic thing where New York City gets destroyed. You know, so no one really had a personal connection to it. Like a lot of his other songs, like people care about Brenda and Eddie and you could picture yourself in that kind of lifestyle. But you can't really picture what it's like when Manhattan sinks at sea and the bridges are blown up and all that. But then when 9-11 happens, all of a sudden, especially for people in the New York area, like you do have a personal connection to the song because it starts to feel relevant in a lot of different ways. And then again, with Hurricane Sandy. Yeah. And he brought this song back and it does have different meaning. It's a he's an interesting fellow. But uh, now that we're talking about those kind of things, now that I know it's the last song off Turnstiles and what it and the way it goes from playing the piano to rocking and then ending with the piano again, boy, it really if you're leaving Turnstiles with this song in your head and then we we know now he does the stranger afterwards. It's so it just this turnstiles album is really just leaves the opening for him to become great you know this turnstiles album is such a just such a precursor to somebody who's just going to go to these levels of stratosphere obviously we know now but if you just listen you're 1976 and you're listening to turnstiles you're like boy this guy someday this guy's really going to put it together and when you're ending with miami 2017 and then you which I believe, you know, kind of like I've always said about Annie Hall in Manhattan and Hannah and her sisters and crimes and misdemeanors. It's like I, I want to try Woody Allen's. I, I want to try to mix comedy and, and heavy drama. So I'll do Hannah and her sisters. But now I can perfect it in crimes and misdemeanors. I figured it out. And it's like he does this song. And now I want to perfect it with scenes from an Italian restaurant. I want to start off slow. I want to tell a story. And then I want to rock it. And I want to bring it back. Yeah. I feel and, that's the way it works. And it's what's, of course, as you can expect, Billy Joel has said that this song was inspired by A Day in the Life. Just no, like no. scenes from an Italian restaurant and probably 20 other songs of his. He mentions A Day in the Life by the Beatles as his inspiration for this song. And I think in this case, the part of it that inspired him was how in A Day in the Life, the Beatles are mentioning these like weird local references, you know, Blackburn, Lancashire. What the hell is that? And I think Billy Joel realized he can mention locations in New York City, and it could still have a global impact. People could still like it, even if they're not from New York and don't know what Staten Island is. You yeah, know? I, di- I didn't know he, again, with the day in the life, if I had heard that, I would have been like, oh, Jesus, this guy just, what the hell? This is just as bad as, na- thank God he didn't mention anything in Long Island this time. Well, he got he, lucky. <laughs> he does in one of the live versions. Oh, he does? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in the, uh, live at Yankee Stadium in 1990, he says, Instead of the mafia took over Mexico, he says the mafia took over Jericho. Oh, God. (laughs) Of course he does. (laughs) Well, you know, he's not an idiot. I mean, there's nothing better when he's playing it at MSG. And, you know, he he says uh, the Brooklyn and and Yankee, forget the Yankees and just all the the unbelievable applause that he knows he's going to get. It's so smart. 
Yeah. Oh, he's the king of it. He just knows how to do that. It's like most artists, will, they'll go to play at a place and they'll be like, hello, Springfield. Right. And like everyone yells, Billy Joel has this song with 14 local New York references in it. Well, that's like, why it's it was so something great. for everyone. That's why Paul Lauren was so great when he put everybody's name into the song. He was pulling a Billy Joel. Yeah, he Remember? learned. And that and he did it at Chase Stadium, too, when he when he replaced the lyrics. They said that Queens could stay. They blew the Bronx away. He changed it to they said the Mets could play another game at Shea. Oh, that's awesome. This guy gets it. Yeah. And then at the uh, concert for Sandy Relief after Hurricane Sandy, he, he changed a bunch of the lyrics to like the affected areas. So he mentioned the Rockaways. He said they turned our power down. Staten Island drowned. And then he said the Queens got washed away below Jamaica Bay. Wow. He's so good. So these lyrics, I got to say, out of, you know, all that we don't talk about lyrics that much, but everyone is fantastic. And again, of course, he had to bring up Cadillacs. You guys can't get enough of Long yeah. Island Cadillacs. But uh, reading some of the lyrics, they I mean, just they held a concert out in Brooklyn to watch the island bridges blow. They turned our power down and drove us underground. But we went right on with the show. I mean, that, that's that's beautiful. Those are unbelievable lyrics. Uh, also, you know, we know a lot of these places. I, I, I've seen the lights go by, but he said we'd seen it all the time on 42nd Street, which was great because that's this is the time that 42nd Street was disgusting. This is what I remember as a little boy. I'm still afraid of 42nd Street to this day between uh, 7th and 8th Avenue because I remember it from the 70s, which is the time where he wrote this song where uh, Gerald Ford told the city to drop dead. You remember probably you don't remember, but, you know, the 70s was a really bad time for New York City as they've depicted. And a lot of things. Did you see the the Bronx is burning the ESPN yeah, show? Sure. Remember that the, the little miniseries um, where, you know, all this bad stuff was happening. I was a, a little boy, but I remember it completely because, again, the son of Sam affected my life. Uh, you have the son of Sam shooting people around. Uh, but. You know, the, 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 all these places were burnt. The Bronx was always on fire. The city was falling apart financially. And yet the Yankees were winning World Series. It was so strange. And then, like you said, Ford and the, the paper. And that's where this comes from. He re everybody right. read that paper. Drop dead. New York City could suck it. <laughs> and uh, which a lot of presidents have, have done. But and we got to give Gerald Ford credit. Without him, we never get Billy Joel's amazing career, basically, at this point, right? Like, he, it gets him to move back to New York, write this song, and then go on to The Stranger and 52nd Street and all these great things. Thank, Thank you, you, Gerald, Gerald Ford. Ford. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they burned the churches up in Harlem, like in that Spanish Civil War. I like how he says that there, because he could say, like, in the Spanish Civil War, but saying, like, in that Spanish Civil War. It's kind of like some guy being like, you know, like in that uh, Spanish Civil War. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. The flames were everywhere, but no one really cared. It always burned up there before. But it's great. And then, of course, he mentions the the boats were waiting at the battery. Of course, we know where that is. So we get that. And Yeah. Lower Manhattan, the battery. Low, lower Manhattan. He really does it all. Oh, God, it's such a it's such a. Oh, and then uh, wait, he says. There are not many who remember, they say, a handful still survived to tell the world about the way the lights went out to keep the memory alive. It, <laughs> that part reminds David Tell's got a great joke now where um, somebody will be wearing a mask. There'll be a lone person wearing a mask at the comedy club. And he goes, thanks. Somebody's got to tell the story. <laughs> somebody's got to live to tell the story. Right? Yeah, I heard him do that. That was one of my favorite lines. <laughs> <laughs> and it reminds me of uh, of this line. Boy, this this song is is so terrific. 
Uh, now, have you heard the demo version of the song on my lives? I have. I it's not good. No, <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. he, he added so much to it. The orchestration that he just ended up with is so great. Even if you think that the studio version isn't as good as the songs in the attic version, when you compare the studio version to the demo in 1975, where it was just him on piano, you could see like he really built the song up perfectly. That demo to me sounds a lot like a Jackson Brown song. Oh, that's interesting. And like you said, it's what the My Lives compilation album should be. Again, why they put on regular studio versions, I don't know. But to put on a demo of that and again, see how the process is is done. That's the fascinating part. So in that sense, it's uh, good, but it certainly isn't what it became, even though it is exactly what it became. Like, it seems like he had this figured out. And yeah, I mean, lyrically, it's the same. And the piano parts are pretty much the same. He just added yeah. so much to it to make it sound so much better. The live album, the live version, Liberty DeVito's drumming is on, not to be believed. It's so good. And yeah, that one rapid fire part before the song gets slow again. Yeah, da -da -da. yeah. I love that one moment. Oh, it's really, really great. And what a great it really is the reason Billy Joel just rules. And it's I'm saying the exact opposite from what I said on the last song. <laughs> and this is why we're this is why I'm here for this song and just his his absolute greatness. Yeah, me too. This is I'm so happy that we're doing this song now. And uh, I mean, I don't know what your personal ranking is, but for me, it, it could be number one. It's up there. It's definitely a top three. I don't know. You know, you know, I think we might have trouble with the personal rankings as we've been talking about in the sense of you know, do you rank a, a scenes from an Italian restaurant as number one in the sense of because of its greatness, but yet we might like this song better. You know, it's it's hard. That's the thing. That's the problem with the rankings. It's like, are you putting it? We've talked about this multiple times with Christopher Bernanos. Are you, you and he just, you know, says it the best way that he's the emperor of what he can do. But, you know, for me, I, I don't know how I'm going to rank stuff but I guess I just said it on this podcast. I might have to put, even though I might like this song better than Scenes from Italian Restaurant, I might have to put Scenes from Italian Restaurant as number one because he perfected this song as kind of a starter song to be like, look what, I, what I'd really like to do is this. So it's, it's a difficult, you know, Scenes from Italian Restaurant is a goddamn masterpiece. Yeah, and I mean, it's not that so this is isn't, it's, but... it's hard to decide. It really is. And yeah. the same way you could look at one of his shorter pop songs like Moving Out, which I think is great and maybe could be a top song. But this one's more ambitious. So then do you go for the ambition versus like the nice, concise three minute song? Excellent. Ambitious. The key word to what this song and quite frankly, this entire album of turnstiles is ambitious and let alone The Stranger. That's that's the ultimate of ambition. But again, I think if Turnstiles wasn't made, there's no way you make The Stranger. And this being the last song, you know, you're if you're again, if you're leaving listening to this album and this is the last song and then his next album is The Stranger, you know, you're just saying, boy, this guy could really be great. This is what this song leaves you with. This song could be this guy could really go places <laughs> in 1976. You're like, I don't know. I got a feeling about this guy. There's something brewing here. Yeah. And this album bombed. So, you know, but there were people who were fans who were like, you guys, are you guys crazy? Like, look how great this guy is. And then finally, the next album, like it clicked for everybody. And those people must have been like, see, I've been telling you, haven't I been telling you? Yeah, it's fascinating that this album bombed. This album bombed. So Say bad. goodbye to Hollywood. 
angry young man james like for us uh this song i mean i i'm just off the top of my head i mean I think this is his best album, honestly. I think this is oh, top to bottom stronger than The Stranger. That's my, my personal opinion. So um, I think so any good. Billy Joel true fan like we were talking about likes this album better than The Stranger in many ways. But again, The Stranger, you just have to. It, it's hard to explain. You know, it's like it's just like this. We know this is the process. The turnstiles is the process. So we probably like it more. It's like a demo to The Stranger. Yeah. And fans would like the process better and and the unpolished process in a way. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. I, I guess there is a little bit of that hipster mentality that it's a little bit earlier, a little bit unfound. And so therefore it, it lives in our minds with more um, warmth. So the live stats on this song are pretty interesting. As you can imagine, uh, he's played it a lot. It's the 24th most played song. He's played it 275 times. But it's kind of like a before and after picture because it all kind of switched after September 11th. Like if you look at his two big concert tours before 9-11, he played 77 shows in 98 and 99. And in those, out of those 77 shows, he only played this song nine times. Okay, so it was not a part of the playlist. He played it basically when he was in New York or was in Florida. And that was it. Then he plays it at the concert for 9-11. And like I said earlier, I think that gave people that personal connection to the song all of a sudden. It wasn't just a sci-fi song, but it was like an emotional connection all of a sudden, um, even for people outside of New York. And after that, it became just a very regular part of the playlist every single year. So he plays it at, I'd say, most shows now. That is interesting. Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? Yeah, yeah, I got a, I got a, a good one, and it should be fairly easy for you. In, in a 1981 radio interview, Billy references a now classic movie that he feels could hold up as a film version of Miami 2017 entitled Escape from New York. Oh, I was going to say Escape from New York? Right. Thinking of the album Turnstiles, what was the name of the logical sequel to Escape from New York that came out 15 years later? The actual sequel to that movie? Yes. Didn't he do Escape from L.A.? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was saying it's like Turnstiles, where he was doing the New York and L.A. thing. So Escape from New York, Escape from L.A. There's a tie-in. Yeah. And the, and the thing is, is, so people asked Billy Joel in 1981 if he would, be, was there any interest in maybe making this into a movie? Because they were doing that back then, taking songs and making them a movie. And he said specifically, and I'm, I remember it completely, he goes, yeah, we talked about it and I saw a script or whatever, but I don't want to make it like The Gambler. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. You remember Kenny Rogers did a TV movie based on his song, The Gambler. Oh, was it terrible? Uh, yes. Uh, but people who like Kenny Rogers and country music probably didn't care. But Billy Joel was not interested in making himself look like that. Uh, and taking a song and making it a movie, I mean, especially if they asked them to be in it, it that could have ruined his career. <laughs> so, so he said. Besides, they already have this one called Escape from New York, which is pretty similar. So, so he mentioned Escape from New York, and Escape from New York is different, but Escape from New York is awesome. Snake Plissken, I thought you were dead. You Snake Plissken, ain't you? What do you want? I thought you were dead. I never seen it, but it looks cool. Oh, you never saw it? It's, no, no, uh, I know of it a little bit. 
Well, you know, I don't know whether it holds up in a sense, but it's it was very entertaining. It's probably a little slow at this point. Now, the music is excellent because John Carpenter always does his own music. You know, he made the Halloween theme and everything. So I like the music, but it, it Manhattan becomes a maximum security prison. And uh, it turns out somebody hijacked the president's plane and now he's in Manhattan and Snake Plissken has to get him out and you have to land on top of the World Trade Center. That's the only way in. He has to land a plane on the World Trade Center and he only has like a you know a little bit to land it there. And yeah. then he has to somehow find the president and get him out uh, before a thing in his uh, they put a because he's also a, a troublemaker too. this is Kurt Russell. They put a thing in his neck that will explode if he doesn't do it in 24 hours. It's kind of awesome. No, oh, now I got to see it. It sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really good. And, uh, you know, if you're thinking of Kurt Russell, the guy from the Disney movies, that's what made, you know, now he's more popular. But, you know, back then he was still trying to make a name for himself after being in all these kid movies from Disney in the 60s. Remember that the, the classic Walt Disney's last words were Kurt Russell. <laughs> for real? And, yeah. And he wrote it on a piece of paper. And then they came to Kurt Russell like, um, do you know what this could possibly mean? He's like, oh, I don't know, because uh, it seems a little creepy. <laughs> Maybe I would have been like, oh, uh, yeah, he was saying he wanted me to star in all of his movies forever. <laughs> yeah, he, he made a pact saying he wanted me to be in everything. Every he, Disney He wants movie. to leave me his fortune. And that he was thinking of siding with Marvel and he wanted me to be Captain America. Don't you remember? That's exactly what that meant, by the way, folks. Uh, no, but uh, yeah. It, that's the last words Disney ever wrote down. Kurt Russell, and then he died. <laughs> it's weird. That's strange. Maybe yes. Goldie Hawn killed him. <laughs> talking about my man. Escape from New York. It's awesome. And it, uh, you know, it'll remind you of this song. You could completely play this song in this movie. It would you know what else good. would remind me of this song is Planet of the Apes. Oh, yes. But uh, <laughs> imagine at the end when they see the Statue of Liberty and then this song starts playing and you're like, oh, what you're the hell? Right. Oh, that would have been. Oh, God, that's a good one, too. That ending. Boy, talk about movie endings that are something else. Planet of the Apes. That's the one. Boy, I'll never forget watching that as a kid and not expecting that. I only saw it as an adult. And I knew that the ending because the Simpsons ruined it. Oh, yeah, right. Well, what are you going to do? You know, sometimes it's like, you know, if we say now that Darth Vader is Luke's father, you know, you know, but in, in 1980, oh, that was the worst thing you could do to somebody, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Do you have a trivia question for me? That's that great that, that I just gave you. <laughs> it's, it's not that great. A fun movie reference. After September 11th. Clear Channel, which is the largest radio conglomerate. They own hundreds of stations around the country. Clear Channel made a list of 165 banned songs that could not be played on the radio. These were songs that dealt with topics like death, destruction, flying, airplanes, weapons, falling, even the month of September. They didn't want any of this to be played on the radio to remind people of September 11th. Somehow, Miami 2017 was not on that list. But one Billy Joel song was on that list that dealt with death. What Billy Joel song was that? Oh, well, is it one that I don't know that we haven't done yet? No. Well, yeah, we haven't done it yet, um, but it's a it's one of the songs that you would expect the radio would normally be playing. Oh, then. Um, pressure. No. <laughs> um, oh, boy. Because uh, I know you and Gary Goldman were talking about a song we haven't gotten to yet that I don't know that's about suicide. So but I guess that's not. Um, no, no, no. This is this is a Billy Joel hit. Yeah. Oh, a hit. 
Allentown. No, uh, forget. I'm kidding. Um, mm. Angry young man. No. It seems like they wouldn't want you know somebody very angry to be a. Yeah, no. There's a lot of his songs that you could imagine could be on a list like this. This is a good trivia question. I take it back. It's a song about death. Yeah, lullaby. <laughs> you wish <laughs> you're writing yeah, letters right. to the radio stations. Yeah, uh, that, that's something I would do as a clear channel. Per- uh, by the way, folks, lullaby is never to be played on this station. Um, damn it! Can I get an album? It's on. It's on the stranger. <laughs> the, the, the comic answer would be scenes from a dying restaurant for God knows what reason. <laughs> it's about divorce. We don't really want to go there. <laughs> right. There's Brendan. Eddie, Eddie was you, a you fireman. Know, Brendan and Eddie were responsible for September 11th. Jeez, I don't I can't. I just can't think. I mean, obviously, if I had the songs in front of me, I think I could make a guess, but I don't want to waste everybody's time, which I think I've already done. I don't know. OK, so the song that was banned from radio was only the good die young Um, as you were saying it i just realized only the good die young is on that uh that's yeah i guess but i mean come on it's a pick-me-up song just because it has the word you know die young in it well there we go that's what the that's why clear channel radio went out of business because they they didn't they changed their name to iheart oh well again most of their stations went out of business their music stations Uh, Now they're mostly talk because they didn't realize that all of Billy Joel's songs that are about tragedy are pick me up songs, which is probably why I do not like lullaby. As we've spoken about on this podcast, Allentown and this one and uh, only the good die young are ironically awesome and pressure. They, They pick you up, even though they are sad, sad, tragic songs. Yeah, he has all these depressing songs that are just good to listen to. But honestly, it really shows like just how under the radar Miami 2017 was back then that it would not have even crossed their minds when they were making up this list of banned songs. Like it's kind of the most on the nose song to say we may, probably shouldn't be playing this. And instead they go with only the good die young. Uh, it's kind of crazy to me. Well, Dave, it's time for the weird Alan parody of this great song. Miami 2017. Uh, I think you're going to like where I'm going with this one today. Well, this one is worthy of a parody, and this technically should be your best parody. This is a song everybody knows. Jesus sing. You should. This should be one of your best ones. And I don't want to hear any. I mean, if the funny thing is, if you actually mentioned a scone with this one, it would be hilarious at this point. Now that we know that even the people that love your parodies are sick of the scone references. And yet, if you bought it back again, it could be funny. Okay, give me a minute. I'm going to rewrite this real no, quick. No, no, no. I was just thinking that. <laughs> I've seen a scone in the bakery <laughs> case. <laughs> no, today's song is called Large Marge 1984. Well, I don't know. You know, it's like, I, I obviously, I like the, uh, the Simpsons or the Pee Wee's Big Adventure reference, but I think I would have preferred if you just did the obvious one, Miami 2022. Why is that obvious? <laughs> I Because I don't know. It's so stupid. And what would I even sing about in Miami 2022? COVID. Bah. You ruined your, you, you, you ruined your well, chance. I think we should, we should probably uh, play that little clip of Large Marge so people who don't know Pee Wee's Big Adventure could... Uh... Thanks for stopping. <laughs> 
some night, huh? On this very night, ten years ago, along this same stretch of road, in a dense fog, just like this, I saw the worst accident I ever seen. There was this sound, like a garbage truck dropped off the Empire State Building. And when they finally pulled the driver's body from the twisted, burning wreck, it looked like this. <laughs> yes, sir. That was the worst accident I ever seen. Have a nice day. <laughs> Be sure and tell them Large Marge sent ya. <laughs> I've seen Large Marge go down the highway. When I was hitchhiking down the road, she picked me up and told a story about an accident she saw 10 years ago. It was a twisted burning wreckage, the worst that she had ever seen. She said the driver died that night, and I screamed with such a fright when Marge's face turned plasticine. Oh, oh, I saw a diner on the highway. I told Large Marge, this is my stop. She said, tell them that Large Marge sent ya. So I told them that, and all their faces dropped. They told me all about the wreckage on a foggy night 10 years ago. Large Marge was the driver. There was no survivor. So I was riding with her ghost. Oh, hey now. I mean, it's about Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and obviously I love Pee Wee's Big Adventure. So do you, though? I don't know if you do. I mean, you know, I do. I don't know. We play clips from it all the time. I'm trying to use the phone. The stars at night are big <laughs> and bright. Deep in Deep the in Miami. <laughs> Well, folks, that was Miami 2017. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A2Z and give us some feedback. Could this be the number one Billy Joel song of all time? Which version do you prefer, studio or live? Have you ever seen Escape from New York? And could the parody have used lyrics about scones? Yes, it could have. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Alon Altman. I'm Dave Jeskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. I see the rats slide down.